0: All right. I am Haggai Davis III, along with Haggai Davis II, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Our show is a conversation about the past, present, and future of all things technology that we like to keep topical, interesting, and digestible. We want to thank our sponsor, Cardinal Capital, for making this possible. Cardinal Capital connects businesses to capital. It doesn't matter what business that you are in. Cardinal Capital has the resources all across the United States that are willing to help fund organizations of all sizes, life cycles, categories, and locations. Cardinal Capital works with you to craft the best commercial finance package for you to achieve your business goals. Whether you're looking to refinance current debt because of the new government programs and favorable interest rates, or finance new equipment, or maybe you're trying to acquire another business entirely, Cardinal Capital is the resources to make it happen. When lenders cannot do a loan, they seek out Cardinal Capital to help. The Cardinal Capital guys are easy to work with and fun to be around. Contact them today at 225-308-3700 or send them an email at info at cardinalcap.net, and they'll be happy to help you with your commercial finance
1: needs. So each week, we like to take a listener's question, and this week, we received a question. Her question was, "Are there any good anti-spyware, anti-malware apps that you can run on an iPhone 13?
0: One. Thank you for this question. This is a, it's a great question. It's a topic that we actually don't touch on too often, the fact that your phone can get viruses, your phone can get malware and that it oftentimes doesn't have the same level of protection baked into it as your computer does. Yes, there absolutely are apps that you can run.
1: And it's not just specific to the iPhone 13. Any iPhone will run these and my guess is any Android as well. These are very Good applications. You've got Total AV, you've got Norton 360, Bit Defender, Avira, McAfee, Trend Micro, Surfshark, and Malware Bytes. Malware Bytes is the one I have on my phone.
0: And so a lot of these uh, will have a free version, they'll have a paid version. And so it's up to you to one think about how much you're looking to spend per month what exactly are you looking for it to do, because some of these will also have VPNs, they'll have file duplication, they'll have, you know, all kinds of browser extensions. And so really is for you to think about how powerful do you want this to be? How much do you want it to be doing on your phone? Do you only want it there to kind of run lightly in the background and kind of swat away the obvious stuff? Do you want your phone to be hard locked down to really make sure that it's absolutely secure, those are good questions to ask yourself to, to guide you through this process.
1: And they all have their pros and they all have their cons. When you're looking through, as you were saying, you know, how heavy do you want this to be or how lightweight do you want it to be? If you're if you need that data breach checker, if you need that device that's gonna clean up file duplications, if you need, like you said, the VPN, look for those pros. You know, it's just one of those things. Some are going to cost more than others and what makes sense to you. But roll through the different ones. It's easy to search for the different companies out there that provide anti-malware, anti-buyware kind of things for your phones, not just for your computers. Then have this stuff on there. Let it run. It might surprise you what, what it finds on your phone.
0: Now, interestingly, Apple says that you don't need one. Apple says that their hardware and their software is already secure enough. Their practices are already strong enough that this is not uh, something which is necessary. It's up to you to be the judge of that for yourself. Their features are fairly good. Their security is you know, impressive, but what level of security are you looking for? And that's always the question here is you're never gonna get to 100%. Are you comfortable at 99? Do you want 99.9? Do you want two nines, three nines, four nines? You know, how much security is critical to you? And then how, how important, how much are you willing to pay, how much you need to sacrifice for that?
1: Because if you're reading emails on your phone, and that's where a lot of the malware comes from is links inside of a, an email, but that can still land in your phone. So yes, it's a good idea. Is it critical that you have it? No, not on not on your iPhone, not on your Android, but it's still a good idea for the little bit of money that it might cost or even for the free version. Get it, have it, run on your phone, try it out. We highly recommend it. And for that, we will be sending out the beautiful Tech Gumbo mug. Thank you for the the, the question. If you would like to submit a question, please go to our website, techgumbo.net. There's a picture of that big, beautiful mug with our logo on it, and we would be happy to send one out to you for free.
0: Yes, indeed. And as we move into the the main stories for this segment, we are back into our AI swing. The last segment we talked about Voldemort, this segment we've got to talk about AI. It's just the checkboxes on this show. But we do want to occasionally be positive about AI. And so this was a cool story. Google has created a robot constitution that they have designed with Isaac Asimov's three laws of robotics in mind.
1: I think this is great that we're trying to go beyond the, the just the three rules of robotics from Asimov, and those rules were written a long time ago, and they were just kind of something he threw into a piece of fiction that he was writing to where now – We've got a lot of AI in the middle of our lives, and we need some safeguards. We need some, some rules, and these are designed to really kind of do that for us.
0: For those of you who are not familiar with Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics, they involve the idea that a robot shall not harm a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. The robot will follow the orders from the human being, and then the robot will not allow itself to be harmed. And there's a specific order to these rules, and he has a lot of short stories which sit there and think about all the implications of these rules and how they all fit together and what happens if you tweak one of them here or there. They are fantastic sci-fi writing, some of the best stuff of the last century. He is an uh, all-time sci-fi author, and so... It, it, he has inspired me in some of my work that I do, and so it makes a lot of sense to draw inspiration from him when we're designing these AI systems, because he didn't call it AI, it was, that phrase didn't exist yet, but this is exactly what he was thinking about. How do you have a computer, and he, I don't even think he used the word computer, I don't think that word exists yet, but how do you have this thing that thinks, which is not human that we have created, we have programmed, and it has to perform tasks in the real world next to us, and we don't want it overthrowing us.
1: So the the rules kind of go through the idea that it starts off with exploration, then task generation, and then, then filtering the task, collecting more data, and then scoring the data, and then the loop back around. And everywhere along the way, these rules It's designed to work with the large language models, the chat GPTs and the Bards and the Geminis and all of the other LLMs that are out there, give these AI systems some rules to
0: follow. And the fascinating thing about their approach here is that they aren't necessarily writing it in normal programming language like you would have in the past, and they aren't even necessarily doing it directly inside of the AI they're actually using this combination of large language models and visual language models. So the, the thing by the image generations, and they are giving it specific instructions. And so we are now through something like the ChatGPTs of the world, able to talk to computers. We're able to tell a computer, don't run over a child. We're able to tell a computer, hey, you know, this is a picture of a child. This is what you should not run over. And so now all of a sudden, you can do much more human normal tasks. You can communicate with this computer much like you would a person. And this is a huge leap forwards because 15 months ago, what we thought you would have to do is you have to just show it a picture of a child a thousand times and then let it figure out that hitting the child was bad for the objective score and that it was this kind of convoluted process, which was really messy and really data intensive and took a long time. But now that we have these tools built up and we can start tying these tools together, all of a sudden, maybe we can have natural language conversations wherever we do put in these rules in place to make sure that AI is valuable to us and not going to become a large problem.
1: Now, again, this was Google's rules. This is not the industry standard. Not everyone has agreed to sign on to these rules or follow these rules. But hey, it's a great start that if we just say, here's Google, one of the biggest out there, if they're going to do this, hey, do you all have a problem with this or can we all agree to this? And if and if everybody else wants to play along, then we don't have to call it Google's rules. We just have to call it the AI rules or the, the LLM rules. And they're going to get tweaked. These aren't obviously going to be the final end-all, be-all. This will be a living, breathing set of documents over time. But this is a great start.
0: And I think that's an important point is that there actually have been standards in the past which have been adopted exactly that same way. If you've ever pulled open your phone and asked your phone how do you take the bus to get somewhere, how do you take the subway to get somewhere – that uses what's called the General Transit Feed Specification, which is the data standards for how do any transit agency collect data, how do they report data, so that any transit agency anywhere in the world all uses the same format so that any app anywhere in the world can collect all that data and show it to you, the user, in one standard way. This came about originally because Google created the Google transit feed specification that because it was so popular, got implemented in so many places, they just changed it to the general transit feed specification. And so you have to think that Google is trying something like this here again, that's, hey, look, we're going to build these flexible set of rules. And that's, I'm sure that a lot of other people will comment on them. I would expect other AI companies to have comments on them. I would expect the US government to have comments on them. I definitely expect the European government to have comments. And so we are finally thinking about how do these tools, which are ex- surging forwards, how they interact with us in the real world. Well,
1: speaking of how these tools interact with us in the real world, the next door we wanted to talk about is how AI is going to get involved in the whole Medical self-diagnosis in that interaction with AI really can have some huge potential upswings and some really scary downsides.
0: This is one of the huge places where AI could be really beneficial, that right now doctors are really expensive. And that there's not many of them. Their time is limited. And so, you know, if you say, hey, can I talk to a doctor? And they say, okay, we have your appointment for three months from now. Well, that's, most people would like to see a doctor a little sooner than that. Well, if you could offload some of the tasks onto these large language models like ChatGPT, then maybe you could get some early pre-diagnosis. You could get some important information. You could get some questions to ask your doctor. You could have some, some conversations you could start to learn, and that way you're not just showing up and saying, I don't know, doc, I feel bad you can use specific words or phrases that help them along the path. And so you can really jumpstart that conversation with your doctor in the ideal case.
1: So if you right now, if you go to ChatGPT and you say, look, I'm feeling bad. My, my face feels like it's on fire. My fingers are numb. My skin is wet and clammy and I have trouble sleeping at night. What's wrong with me? Well, ChatGPT is going to say, hey, look, I'm not a doctor. I can't diagnose you. But it sounds kind of like this. And so, go to your doctor and tell him to look at this. Look for this this potential diagnosis. Now, if that's the way the tool is going to work, okay, good. Right now, you can go to any WebMD, to any hospital's website that'll have all kind of, you can plug in some symptoms and you're going to get 10, 15 options of what it could be. But if you have this tool drilled down because you're asking much more specific questions and giving specific symptoms, it will not tell you this is what you have. Maybe this is what you might want to discuss with your doctor.
0: Well, I think that's an important point to talk about is that it comes down to implementation. How exactly is it framing its conversation with you? You know, is it one? It should be a conversation. It should be somewhat of a back and forth. It should try and develop a rapport because one of the biggest things is that you, the user, have to trust it. One problem that doctors face is that if their patients aren't honest about their symptoms for, because they might be embarrassed or ashamed or whatever, or they just don't think that that is something which is important, being able to trust it is already a huge factor. Then we have the whole medical data privacy, which is another huge factor that could be involved in all these large language models. But setting those aside, saying that we have solved them, what level of expertise is it posing as? Is it saying, hey, I've thought about this and this is a path that you should consider? Or is it, this is my diagnosis? Because what happens whenever you go to the human doctor and you say, oh, ChatGPT GPT diagnosed me with blank, and the human doctor says, no, it's wrong. I'm the human. I went to med school. I know better than that thing, which is not a medical doctor. Do you, the human, trust the, the human? Or do you say, oh, well, this told me what I wanted to hear. And maybe the human says, I actually don't have a diagnosis for you. It's not that simple. It's more complicated. And you say, but I want a diagnosis. I just want an answer. That's a tough place to be in.
1: Except when you start remembering that ChatGPT hallucinates. It makes things up. It makes up references. And so it's not always right. Not that a human doctor is always right either. But when you know going into ChatGPT, it's got an 85% accuracy rate because it's going to make up the other 15% or it's trying to guess the next word. Because remember, that's all these LLMs do. They just guess the next word and they're really, really good at it. But you're giving it these symptoms. So every time you give it another symptom or you give it another word to look at, it's guessing the next word to give back to you. If it's making things up and you tell your doctor, look, I've got X. And the doctor's looking at you going, your symptoms are this, this, and this. And those symptoms don't come close to that. Oh, was that just another one of the chat hallucinations? So who are
0: you going to believe? And that's that's a, another great point about trust in your software, trust in these future technologies, which is a recurring theme on the show. And it's also kind of this weird place wherever we as humans are comfortable, where we are more comfortable with other humans making mistakes than we are with machines and computers and robots making mistakes. It's the same problem as self driving cars that if self driving cars were to be roughly as good as humans, we would not accept that. If self driving cars were to get into 36,000 lethal crashes every year, we would say that's far too many. But then the question is how much better does it have to be? Does it have to save one life per year? Does it have to be 10% better, 50% better? It's never going to be 100% better. But how much better than the human does it have to be before we think that this is the right choice? And then you have to look at
1: how well that AI is working. There's a story about a GM dealer where somebody convinced this AI on their website, hey, I want to buy a 2024 Chevy Tahoe for a dollar. And the AI went along with it. This is a
0: fascinating story that was honestly pretty funny. Though as, as this was coming out, I laughed heartily at several of the different shots that people took at it. What happened was is that the Chevrolet of Watsonville hooked up ChatGPT to their website and just said, hey, if you want to chat with someone on our staff, here you can talk to ChatGPT first. And so, so someone told the because people have now spent a year learning how to poke holes in ChatGPT, learning how to massage it, manipulate it, get it to do whatever, they were able to talk it into saying that this is a legally binding offer that I am selling you a 2024 Chevy Tahoe for $1. That's a $50,000 car? Now, whether or not that's going to hold up in court, I'm a guess not. But it shows that all the places that's People will try and break things, and even if they're not trying to break them, AI still isn't perfect yet. When you allow
1: pranksters into situations where trying to convince a car dealership to sell you a a $50,000 vehicle for a buck or into a medical diagnosing software where, oh, those pimples on your face, they're actually some weird disease because I'm having fun, ha, 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 ha that's when AI really breaks down.
0: We need our rails, we need to be really thoughtful about how we're implementing it. Because also that Chevrolet of Watsonville, someone asked it some very charged political questions and it gave definitive answers. It said, we at Chevrolet of Watsonville believe blank. And I'm guessing that this random car dealership does not want to have public stances on that very hot-button political issue because they're a car dealership. No one cares what they think about that hot-button political issue. And so that's why you have to be very sure you know what you're doing whenever you implement this AI. Otherwise, you'll end up in some pretty ridiculous places. And we want to thank General
1: Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission, and that mission is to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Batteries, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed services provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers from Texas to the Carolinas. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through the continuous use of innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 120 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, programmers, and designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of businesses, schools, and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business's strength. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us, Year after year, whether you need new IT services, new technology, or you just have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. And if you enjoyed our show today, we're here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at four, and the show will rerun Sunday at four. If you missed any part of our show, or you would like to hear any of the previous episodes, check out our podcast, which is available on most every platform. And when you're there. Be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified every time a new episode is posted. If you like our show, if you have some suggestions or want to submit a question, let us know by visiting our website, techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.